Well, good morning again and happy Father's Day. I received a little bit of uh, constructive criticism about my slide in that someone said, are those real people? I'm like, of course they're real people. <laughs> these, aren't, these aren't fake people. Uh, do I know them? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I just wanted to have a little something to welcome you. And yeah, I, anyway, I will tell you this, though. The ribs, I ate those. So that, that's original. So anyway, but we, we, do, we do want to uh, just uh, give all of you a, a warm, happy Father's Day. Um, we're going to be talking about fathers today. And uh, I, I will tell you that um, uh, one thing that... that I have had to deal with in my adult life is, is that I am not a father. And uh, sometimes in my past, as we've come to this day, it's been a little bit of a day of sadness because, you know, I don't have those ones that have come after me and things like that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not offending. You know, sometimes people, you know, dads will say, you know, you, you want to take some of mine home? And I'm not offended by that because really the answer is, if you want to give them to me, absolutely not. But uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is this, is that, is that God has given so many of us the privilege of either being a dad and obviously all of us having a dad. And so what I want to do is encourage the men in our congregation today. I do believe that, that this message can be applied by all, but we will certainly be trying to direct it toward our dads. And so whether you say men or dad or fathers, whatever, that's, that's all directed to you. But just, just a few things to think about as we uh, consider uh, beginning today. Um, children who grew up with involved fathers in their homes are 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school. My dad was an engaged dad. It was not his fault. Okay. <laughs> 45% they're 45% less, less likely to repeat a grade. They're 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school. Two times as likely to go to college and find a stable job after high school. 75% less likely to have a teen birth. And 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Now, I realize those are just general stats, but... The analysis of more than 100 studies on parent-child relationships found that having, and I'm quoting this from Health and Human Services, having a loving and nurturing father was as important for a child's happiness, well-being, and social and academic success as having a loving and nurturing mother. A father's play, communication, and discipline are different than a mother's. Both contribute unique but equally important aspects to the child's nurturing and development. Children with engaged fathers are better off at every stage of development, every stage of development. Throughout their childhood, kids who have involved fathers are generally healthier, happier, more positive, and handle stress better. Nearly every article I read admitted that research and consideration for fathers was nearly non-existent decades ago and is still lagging far behind today. And you think about that for a minute. In the society that we live in today, sociology is admitting that they blew it. For years, their sociology, the sociological bent simply factored dads out as irrelevant or unnecessary. The secular world is now catching up to what the Christian world has been saying all along. Dads matter. And dads matter 
very much. It's interesting as we even look at society today, have you noticed that they've backed off on making fun of dads in commercials? And now dads are more engaged, even showing them changing diapers and things like that. I mean, of all the things that we have going on in society, that's actually a positive development. I know dads are like, I don't want to change diapers. But there's more to it than that. The point is you need to be engaged and be involved in every area of your kid's life, right? Now in a moment we'll be examining Psalm 112. And I gave you the, the page number to turn there. But before we do, I wanted to consider... The scripture passage that we read in Psalm 111. So if they're right next to each other. So if you just want to take a look at that. The psalm gives glory to God for his great works. This hymn, right? It's, it's, a, it's a psalm. The hymn writer primarily describes God's character in his work and the types of works that he does. He then gives several of God's mighty works, his provision, his promises, and his redemption. Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 begin the same way. Praise the Lord. That's how they begin. So what I want you to understand here is that Psalm 111 is actually a lead-in to Psalm 112. 111 talks about God our Heavenly Father. Psalm 112 is going to talk about the blessed man. So let's read that together. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be, will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Now, I want to tell you as we look at this psalm, we're not going to get through every aspect of it, but we're going to cover a lot of it, and we're going to focus on, again, a blessed man. So the first thing that we see here is that a blessed man fears God. Fearing God is having a proper regard and respect for the Lord. Now, again, even though we're talking about dads primarily, talking about men primarily, anybody can apply this. There is an aspect of a healthy fear of God's power and glory. We understand that. Fear cannot mean, however, always to be afraid because the next phrase says that we are to delight greatly. How can we be constantly cowering in fear of God and have a pleasant and enjoyable life along with that? So we know that fear has to mean something different. And the second phrase is very similar in that a blessed man delights in God's word, in what he commands. So these two elements, fearing God and delighting in his direction, must go together. Think about it. We can't have any respect or devotion for a person if we don't have any regard for what they say. Right? 
That doesn't mean we don't act upon what they say. We may have to, we may have to because they are right or because they are in authority over us. But this isn't complying out of some kind of obligation. That's not the type of, of fear of respect that we're talking about. So now let's consider this in more of a positive light. When we appreciate or are glad to receive the instructions given by a person, we are acknowledging our appreciation for that person. It might be someone over us at work or someone who has a skill that is going to better our lives or something like that or teach us something. The person tells us what to do or how to solve a problem and we appreciate the direction or instructions because of who they are. It's the same way with God but only on a completely different scale. So we appreciate God for who he is, and we appreciate God and fear and honor him because of what he has said. And we honor what he has said because of who he is. So according to this text, a true fear of God produces happiness. I believe that that's kind of alluding to this idea of dad. Having a proper respect of dad makes for a happy household. So this happiness is directly linked to obedience. So if we have a reasonably complete and accurate understanding of who God is and what he wills for us, his commands, then knowing the Lord and serving him will bring us great happiness. So, folks, we got to stop for a second. If we want to be a blessed man, we need to fear God. And if we don't fear God properly, then we're not going to be blessed, maybe like we would like. So we need to think through that. How is our respect, first and foremost, for God himself? If our knowledge is off the mark, then we will struggle with God's authority in our service to him. It's just that simple. So knowing God and understanding what he has to say to us go hand in hand. There are two more critical things that we need to note. As I said, Psalm 112 mirrors Psalm 111. One writer likened God to being the son, S-U-N, of righteousness in Psalm 111. And then in Psalm 112, the man is reflecting God's righteousness like the moon reflects the sun. So we're not talking about being little gods. We're talking about reflecting the righteousness and all those other character qualities of who God is. Man being finite and imperfect can only display the character of God to a certain degree. We understand that. Yet it is to the degree that we strive to be like Christ that we actually live righteously and are blessed. It is as we live like Christ and show forth him that we actually show forth the Father. I don't think it's too far of a speculation to say this. To be as much like Christ and as much like God as we can is actually being as human as we can. Think about that for a minute. When we fell, we wrecked what we were created to be in the image of God. So when we fell, 
And I say we, scriptures tell us that collectively we were all there, but we've all sinned since. We're marred. Again, we're, we're never going to be everywhere at all times. We're never going to be all-knowing, but God has shared some of his character with us. We're made in his image. So to be as much like the Lord as we can is to actually restore as much of that image as possible this side of heaven. And that is the great challenge that we have in our lives. So a blessed man fears God. Another thing to think about when we're looking at this, this passage is a God-fear is a God-follower, a person of faith. God's idea of one who fears him is different than our modern usage of God-fearer. Today we think of someone who has a general respect or consideration for God uh, and, and someone who tries to live according to him, right? Tries to do what God, tell, what God says is a God-fearer. Yes, there is a general blessing to living God's standard regardless of who we are. For example, if we respect God's law and respect man's law, it's highly unlikely that we will go to jail. Okay, that's a blessing, right? But this is all an altogether more, and I'm talking here about being a true God-fearer, is an altogether more personal and eternal aspect. This has to do with a spiritual walk. This has to do with knowing who God is. Not just knowing about him, not just kind of complying with a standard that we think is there, but it's actually a personal relationship. And just to share a couple verses that punctuate that. The angel of the Lord in Psalm uh, 34, verses 7 and 9, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, experience who God is, right? Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Now notice the colors there, just keeping fear in mind and who is doing the fearing, right? Then in Psalm 31, verses 19 and 23, Oh, how great is your, is your goodness, which you have laid upon those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. O oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. Isn't that truly the same ones who trust, right? And fully repays the proud person. Now, that's the negative side of things. So if we take these two verses and we look at that when it comes to what it means to fear God, this is not a cowering in fear uh, mentality. Now, that, again, that doesn't mean that... You know, hey, I had healthy respect for my dad. I tried not to do stupid things. When I did stupid things, I got punished for them. And I should have. And I was better for it. But I wasn't walking around the house all the time going, where's dad? <laughs> right? I was waiting for dad to maybe say something, but he decided not to. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, all this to say, it's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. Right? Even Jesus said, don't you understand, just like your father, your earthly fathers know how to good, give good gifts, so does your heavenly father, right? Amen. He's not going to give us things that are going to harm us. He's not going to give us things that are worthless. So here we have a heavenly father who, yes, we need to have a very healthy respect for. 
There is an awesomeness and a greatness that goes beyond, obviously, anything and anyone that was created. But along with that, we have his revealed character and we have his demonstrated works. And all of those things need to combine into us having a proper understanding that fearing God is also the place of happiness. Fearing God is the place of blessing. We need men, we need dads to be blessed by God. As we continue on, a blessed man will bless his household. This is in verses 2 and 3. We need to remember a couple of things regarding passages from the Old Testament. This is just a a light warning. First, the covenant provided temporal earthly blessings as a result of a national and personal obedience. Okay? So we can't pull everything from the Old Testament and say, that's for us today. They could gauge how they were living based upon how they were fulfilling their covenant with the Lord and how God was fulfilling his covenant with them. Okay? Uh, Were they experiencing blessing or cursing? You know, too many times the children of Israel are like, hey, we're good. Everything's great. And everything's falling down around them. And God is warning them. He's sending prophets to them. They're like, no, no, it's all good. And the Lord's like, no, it's not. And then the cursings came. Okay? Now, The other side is true. God was faithful to his blessings as well. Second, in wisdom literature, which is where we're at, in in, poetic literature, wisdom literature, the Psalms, what is written is often a general rule of life and not necessarily an absolute statement. Okay? So we have those things just to think about. But at the same time, there seems to be a principle that goes beyond God's broad covenant with his people. As a nation... And it seems rather personal. In other words, it seems to get a little bit above and beyond tied to the land and everything else where it's, it really is tied to the faithfulness of the man. Right? So even though we have to be careful some of these very specific things about the land and stuff like that, the principle here is what we need to hang on to. The passage states, A blessed man will have mighty descendants. That is, they will, be, uh, they will excel and be influential. The passage seems to indicate that a righteous generation will come after a righteous man and will also be blessed. Now again, as a rule, I believe that's true. I believe that any of these things can happen. But we need to remember in the Old Testament again, the context of blessing, even power were tied to occupying the promised land. That simply isn't an option for a Gentile or even many Jews today, right? Including believing Jews. Last time I checked, none of you probably owned, you know, land in Tel Aviv, right? So you don't have any claim to the promised land. But the scriptural principles, the, 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 the spiritual principles that are here are true. In that, a righteous man will be a blessing to his household And there is going to be a difference in the generation to come from when we're talking about a righteous man's life. Okay? I believe that is a principle that we can and should plan on receiving. Now, all the children here, any children to come, children that are represented here, you've got two issues. One is the faithfulness of the dad. Not the faithfulness of God, but the faithfulness of the dad. The other is 
Kids still have choices. Again, we're talking about a principle. So I'm not trying to drive home some type of guilt or anything like that. I'm simply trying to encourage us as dads, grandpas, uncles, whatever it might be, have an appropriate influence first by making sure that you are right with the Lord, right? Then, then invest that into your kids. Because the next thing follows, a blessed man is a righteous man. Let's look at this closely here. It's it's actually at the at the end of uh, at the end of uh, let's see where are we yeah wealth and riches verse three will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever unto their upright there arises light in the darkness and is gracious and full of compassion and righteous so what we see here is is that a blessed man is a righteous man a God fearer we would think. Someone who loves the Lord, someone who does what he, what he tells us to do, is going to live righteously, right? But this is still punctuated in this passage. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we create a mystique around certain biblical words. And I think righteousness is one of those. Righteousness, holiness, they kind of go together. It doesn't signify a spiritual giant or an elite class of believer. And too many times we designate it as such. Someone who is correctly applying and living out God's standard is a righteous person. A dad who is correctly living out God's standard is a righteous dad. Do any of you do it perfectly? No. If that were the case, the verse has no practical meaning since no one could measure up. But it does signify a consistency of life. So a righteous man is going to have a consistent walk with the Lord. Let's look at some verses to back that up. Blessed are those who keep justice and who does righteousness at all times. Blessed. Blessed are those who do righteousness. The wicked man does deceptive work. And I, and I, I put this in green because green's kind of a grow thing, right? But also... There, there's, there's a positive and negative here in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 18 through 20, because that's just what Proverbs do a lot. This is good. This is bad. This is negative. This is positive. So I want us to stay on the positive, but it says, The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he pursues evil, pursues it to his own death. But let's not forget, righteousness leads to life, right? Those who have a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord. But, contrast, the blameless, the upright, the righteous, in their ways are his delight. Guys, think about that for a minute. As a dad, if you are living righteously, God delights in you. Now notice, we were supposed to delight in God. But as we do that, God also delights in us. Is that what you want today? Is that what you want for your family, for your wife and your kids? That is the reputation that we need to strive for. Not by just doing and doing and doing, but by being. By actually being that righteous follower. By being that, that 
imitator of our Heavenly Father as we saw in Psalm 111. One more slide, and this is actually directed to young men, Titus 2, 6 through 8. Likewise, exhort, encourage the young men to be sober-minded. No offense, young men. Sober-mindedness, clear-headedness, that's not one of our strong suits, right? Particularly young men, we do dumb things. The scriptures are saying, don't do that. Do smart things, right? In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, in actually what God teaches, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Wow. How was your speech this last week, young man? How was your speech this last week, man? That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. In other words, young man, you want to have a good reputation, you be like Jesus. And you will be blessed. Let's be reminded that these truths, again, flow from Psalm 111. Psalm 111, sorry, getting ahead of myself here. My tongue can't keep up. Psalm 111 verse 5 says, The Lord will ever be mindful of his covenant. Then we read in Psalm 112, referring to the righteous man, three things. Verse 3, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 6, the righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Whose remembrance? I believe that's the Lord's. Verse 9, his righteousness endures forever. Folks, a righteous person has an eternal life. You get that? Because what we've already established is he has a right relationship with God. We move on to another point here. A blessed man is gracious. We read in verse 4, Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. The upright man is simply a synonym for a righteous man. I mean, it's just the way it is. The phrase, the light and darkness, in verse 4, is a reference to the Lord's involvement in a righteous person's life. It is, it is a veiled reference to God in Psalm 111. So even when a righteous man goes through dark times, there is light. There is the Lord. Now, some would attribute the next qualities back to God himself. And I, I believe that contextually, that is not correct. I believe that those have already been stated in Psalm 111, these exact same things. But what we see is the righteous man doing those same things. In other words, the righteous man fearing God, doing his commandments, and patterning his life after the Lord himself. And so what three qualities do we see here? That he's... Uh, and really, they sum up the overall view of a, what a gracious man is. He's gracious, full of compassion, and righteous. These terms don't mean the same thing, but flesh out different aspects that characterize a righteous man. They also reflect the character of God, as I mentioned. So let's think about this. Gracious. The Lord is gracious. But a man who knows the Lord 
is also gracious. He is kind and understanding. Again, guys, I get it. Sometimes we blow it. But a righteous man is gracious. A righteous man is kind and understanding. A righteous man is full of compassion, just like God. He shows care and sympathy. He actually demonstrates it. Does God just care, like, in his heart? Does he? Or does he demonstrate his care every day, every moment, right? So again, these aren't just things that we have as qualities that we feel. These are things that we do, just like the Lord. And he's righteous. Now, this actually, we've already talked about righteousness. This speaks more of the practical justice aspect of of doing right, of being right. Just like the Lord, a righteous man has a moral and ethical justice and fairness about him. That's what that's talking about. Now, we could expand on that an awful lot. We don't have time today. But, but just think about that. Think about our moral and ethical compass, how we treat people, the differences that we see in right and wrong. Are they based upon God's character or not? Are they based upon God's standards or not? A righteous person will also have a righteous sense of justice and fairness. That, that goes down from, you know, giving your word about something about producing something properly or whatever it might be. That even, that even deals with different classes of people, different, different ethnicities, any number of things like that. That's what that's talking about. That there is an appropriate justice about us. Let's look at a couple of verses for that. Proverbs eleven seventeen: The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Think about that. There's nothing wrong with understanding that there is a benefit to being a merciful and gracious person. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We know that comes from the Beatitudes. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself is telling us, blessed, happy, content, satisfied, all those other things that come along with that are merciful people. And men, a righteous man is merciful. Another thing that's listed here is a a blessed man, a righteous man, is generous. He improves the difficult situation of others by either giving or lending to help meet a need. Let's just read that verse again. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. This type of lending would not include what is called usury or interest for the gain of the lender. God would only bless lawful giving. Again, we're in an Old Testament context. And a righteous person would not give something to someone to help them, right? And then put a tax, so to speak, on that. I'll help you at 10%, right? That's not helping. Now, again, I do believe that, that the wording here has the idea it doesn't have to be a lend situation, but it can be, all right? This type of lending would not include usury interest. As I said, God would only see this as lawful. The sole purpose would be to help another person or family through a temporary difficult time. In other words, it's a short-term loan with no strings attached because I want to help you. 
Now, again, it doesn't have to be a loan. It can be a gift. And we all probably would like to help others, but there are some characteristics to those who actually do help others. So it's not just that I would like to be generous. I have a generous heart, but, I, but someone who actually demonstrates their generosity. I want both men and young men to especially consider this. A man who knows God and fears God and delights in God's commands or way of living is a generous man, right? So let's tie all of these things together. Let's start back where I was just at. A man who knows God, fears God, and delights God's commands or ways of living. A man who fears God, okay, all those things we just said, lives righteously. A righteous man, man who lives righteously, is gracious, compassionate, and just. A gracious, compassionate, and just man is generous. So, a man's core motivation for generosity, a man's core motivation for this, finds its source in his fear and delight in God himself, in who God is and what he says. Just like every other quality that we've looked at. We need to add that a generous man is, is self-sacrificial, right? It's your stuff. So when we give it away, when we loan it out, whatever we might do, it is a self-sacrifice. Notice that he lives his life in such a way that he positions himself to be able to help others. Do you see how it says it there? He will guide his affairs with discretion. That takes some planning and purposing in our lives. So a generous man goes beyond kind thoughts and well-wishing and arranges his life in such a way that he can make a tangible difference in the lives of those who have a need. Folks, think about that for a minute. It's purposeful. And it's purposeful because of its core. It's purposeful because we are doing it for the Lord. The source, again, of all of this is the fear of God. I want to add a few practical things to consider here. A generous, compassionate man will do what he is able. He will not allow himself to be overwhelmed with the needs of the world to the point of inaction. And let's face it, we can all fall into that. There's so many needs, there's so many things out there, and we just kind of get paralyzed. No, let's do what we can. And the other thing is, and this is not a total bailout for the wallet, okay, just to be blunt. But there are also many ways that we can be generous that go beyond money. That doesn't mean that money is never involved, but it does mean that your time, your skills, whatever it might be, given for the Lord's purposes, given for those who are in need, there's worth there. There is a generosity of giving of yourself. And I do believe, again, that this is a quality that a blessed man has. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will pay back what he has given. Wow. <laughs> That's a powerful verse, folks. Then we go back to Jesus' words again. Matthew 25, 33-36. And he will set 
the sheep, and by the way, this is in a context, I can't give you the whole context, but this is enough. And he will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. The sheep, those are his followers. The goats, those are the wannabes. They're not. They might look a little bit like a sheep, but they're not. They're a goat. They are an unbeliever. They are set for destruction. But we're going back to the sheep. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, to the sheep, Come you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And look at the evidence here. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Folks, how much more can we get into the basics of life and generosity than this? This is, this is what Jesus is saying is the set standard for entering the kingdom of God. This is what a sheep does. A sheep is generous. Lastly, a blessed man remains strong. And by the way, in all of these things, you can see it says here, verse 9, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. That horn, that idea there is, um, it, it signified the strength of an animal. If you think of a ram, right, with the horns coming out, that's a ram's strength. You got little horns, you know, you don't do a whole lot. You got big horns, you can, you can do some damage, right? So it's, it's, it's the strength and honor of that animal, and it's related then to a person. And so that person will be honored. And, and let me just note, I said we weren't going to go through all this, but let me just note here. It says, the wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Here's the point. Doesn't matter what else anybody plans against us. Doesn't matter what schemes a wicked person has. God's blessing supersedes all of that. Because it's not just about this earth. And when, when a wicked person who has designs on a righteous person sees that whatever they say or do or want doesn't matter, doesn't affect that person, they walk away steamed. They're not happy. They're frustrated. But why is that? It's because a blessed man remains strong. Look at what it says. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Folks, a strong Man, a blessed man, will not be shaken. Bad news or a change in his circumstances won't rattle him because his trust is in the Lord. Now, I'm going to speak for myself for a moment here. There are times when a very significant change of circumstances has come along and genuinely, and I've genuinely given it to the Lord. If I didn't, then I couldn't tell you that. I'm just telling you the truth of my life. There have been times... When I've had significant things come up, and it's like, okay, God, I'm going to buckle up. We're in this together. Let's do it, right? At other times, it seems like I sometimes let the smallest change of circumstances get the best of me. Remaining strong or steadfast doesn't mean that we don't experience any emotions. Hurt, disappointment, fear, even frustration, and others are going to well up inside of us. But a blessed man is steadfast. We're going to persevere through those things. 
We're going to stay strong for our wives. We're going to stay strong for our children. And what do the scriptures say about that? Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Folks, take that to the bank. God's going to keep us. Again, it doesn't mean we're not going to experience issues, problems, attacks, but it's lasting through them. Let me read for you Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Um, I'm just going to read you the entire psalm. This is a psalm. It says, uh, I'm going to read you the beginning part here. To the chief musician set to do not destroy, a victim of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. All right, so think about this. This is David. Somehow there's this song that's called do not destroy. All right, and so this is to that tune. Remember, it's a song. And he's singing, he's writing a psalm about this constant enemy that he has, this adversary, the one who's just like that last paragraph that we saw, right? But Saul, he walked away frustrated too, didn't he? But listen to what it says. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches those who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Now stop here for a minute. Folks, is that a beautiful picture of a horrific situation that you might have gone through? Right? That's life, isn't it? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Now, let's stop for just a minute here. We sing that song, right? That's in a lot of hymns, things like that. Look at the context. The context is, hey, I am being pursued. I'm trusting you, but I'm being pursued. And he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. In the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. Get the instruments out, right? I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth in the middle of some of the worst experiences I've had. Why? Because you are a righteous God, and I want to be a righteous man, and I am going to remain steadfast, regardless of the circumstances. Folks, we need men like you. We need men like that. We need men who are going to be strong. A blessed man fears God, and a man who fears God is blessed. Warren Wearsby said this, The fear of God is the fear that conquers fears. So men, fear is both our goal and our motivation. That is, fearing God. 
Our desire should be to respect and honor the Lord, and our respect and honor we have in our hearts for the Lord will result in righteous living. If it's not there, we can't count on the results. A life lived for the Lord is rich, and it counts for eternity. Righteous living shows up in our sacrifices for our families, our sacrifices for others. In our time, it is expressed in our service to the church of Christ. Our righteousness shows when, uh, when we treat others with grace and compassion. Circumstances do not change a righteous man's faithfulness to God because we understand that God does not change, nor does his faithfulness to us, regardless of the circumstances we are in. Men, young and old, I want to challenge you today. Love the Lord and live righteously. Live righteously and be blessed. Live righteously and be a blessing to your family and to others. Our wives and children, our church and community need men of righteousness. And we also need to acknowledge the faithful, self-sacrificing, compassionate, generous strength of men. Folks, I'm just going to be honest. Most of the time when I have attended churches and I'm so many years old, and there's been so many of those Father's Days, right, and Mother's Days, moms, you deserve it, I get it, but usually Mother's Day is pretty nice, right? Moms are great. Moms are wonderful. I love my mom, right? It's, it, that's, but, man, when we get to Father's Day, <laughs> buckle up, boys. Fire's coming down, right? That, that's, that's what happens. Now, have I challenged you today? Yes. I challenged moms a few weeks ago, too. But here's the point, guys. You got a tough job. And frankly, society has shortchanged you. No offense, ladies. But guys, you have basically been ruled out of things. You, you've been equationed out. And it's not right. We need you. You have a tough job. Moms, no one's arguing you have a tough job. Dads do too. Not because we got bratty kids. I'm not ripping on you kids. I'm just saying it's tough. It's work. But I hope that you see today that it's not just more than worth it. It's essential. It's essential because... We are like the Lord. We pattern ourselves after him when we're living a righteous life. Dads, men who love the Lord, know today you are blessed. You are blessed of God himself. If you don't feel blessed today, if you know you're missing the mark, understand all you have to do is understand who God is, acknowledge him, respond to him in faith first, but trust him and do what he says. That's it. Easy? No. Simple to understand? Yes. But let's be strong, steadfast, compassionate, generous, righteous men. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we teased a little bit, but the reality is, is that there has been a relentless attack on men in our society. It's not a matter of being better or worse. It's just a matter of being different. Men and women are, women are different. But even the world is waking up to the fact that we're just as indispensable as anybody else. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged today, each of us in our walk with you, but especially our men and our young men, to strive to be like Christ, to live out these lives in such a way that is pleasing to you, first and foremost, because of who you are, the great character that you have, and also because it's a delight to do your commands. The opposite is not a delight. It's, 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 a, it's a recipe for disaster for us and those around us. So we pray, Father, that you bless us. But we know that part of that blessing has to do with how we respond to you. Lord, if there's a man here who doesn't know you as Savior or anyone else, that you just work in their life even today. Lord, if there's someone who knows that they're, they're not on the course that they should be, I pray they'll have a time of repentance, a time where they'll have a change of heart and mind to respond to you in faith and not just make a decision, but actually live out what you have prescribed, that we live like you. In Christ's name, amen.